Hello, writers, and welcome to the Writer's Mindset Podcast with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. We're here bringing you all the knowledge and techniques you need to achieve your writing goals. Whether you want to be a number one bestseller or make a living writing what you love, we've got you covered. It's time for practical tips, hard truths, and tough love, but in the very best of ways. Do you love the podcast? You can support us over on Patreon for less than your favourite coffee per month. As part of our writing community, you'll get to listen to new episodes early, enjoy bonus content, and take part in patron-only writing workshops whenever we hit income goals. Sounds like a bargain to me. Yep, our first workshop, when we get enough patrons to buy a domain name, will be on getting focused. Focus during writing sessions and deciding which idea to focus on right now. Which is definitely a big problem we see a lot, right? Yep, that's why we chose it. If you like the sound of all that, visit writerscookbook.com forward slash support. How'd you write me? <laughs> Two jingles there. <laughs> Don't mind me breaking the podcast with a new tech. <laughs> the second one really made me jump, but then the third one, again, somehow still made me jump. <laughs> okay. <sighs> How's your writing been going this week, Ellie? It's going. Uh, I've actually done quite a lot of writing this week on my um, script assignment, so that's really coming together now. But I've also been doing a lot of unpacking because, you know, real life often gets in the way. So moving house is hard. I recommend no one does it ever. Uh, <laughs> what about you? We have uh, something exciting coming up this week, don't we? Maybe? Well, the start of next week. And that yes. is it. My very first fantasy book, The Ghost Call, is out on Tuesday the 29th. <laughs> it's exciting. How are you celebrate? How are you going to celebrate the release of your debut fantasy novel? By taking Millie to the groomers? That's not a celebration. You no, need to but do it's something necessary. I'll eat some ice cream or watch a film or something. I don't know. <laughs> but given all of Millie's allergies and stuff, it's always better for her when her fur is super short. So we're, we're kind of this close to telling the groomer to like just get the razor out and make her look like a naked bull rat. So <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>, me's Millie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because the fur obviously just clings onto all the pollen and then she scratches like mad and yeah, bless her. Well, we'll find something to help you celebrate a little better than that. Yeah, listeners, if you've got any suggestions of how I can celebrate the release, let me know. Although the one thing I will be doing is I'll be doing a giveaway of a paperback copy. So I suppose that's kind of a celebration. Not quite the same. I mean, a free copy of Ghost Call is incredible. Everyone should enter this giveaway. I've no idea what the rules of this giveaway are going to be. Yeah, I just I bought two copies and one I'm going to give away. We, so we we'll can figure work it out. on that. We can work on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm obviously editing the second book at the moment, The Mummy's Curse, and that's going well actually. I know there are some things that I need to fix, but at the moment I'm gonna I put it on my iPad and I'm going to read through it like a book because I find that really helpful for contextualizing things and working out what needs fleshing out and stuff. But the way it's going, it's probably going to be slightly longer than the first book because there's a new character in it. There's some new layers to it. It gets quite intense and it's quite complicated in places and maintaining the sense of urgency that comes from the fact that people they love are quite sick 
that's really challenging when also the characters have still got to go to work. They still got to go to college. They've still got to find the ghosts that are from the first one. You know, it, it's a lot to juggle, but I do love the new character in book two. That's all I'm going to say about him before I blurt out more spoilers. I also love the character, but yes, let's not spoil it. Let's you not haven't spoil met it, the character yet. Not technically, but we've spoken about the character. True. Um, He's fun. And He's fun. I... I love him already. <laughs> I've not read anything, but still. <laughs> Moving Just on. Just me talking about him so much. Exactly. <laughs> That's how you know it's good. This week we are talking about different kinds of relationships and writing them. And not just sexual relationships either. We want to look at family relationships and friends, as well as romantic relationships, yes, and even colleagues, you know, there's a lot of different relationships included in fiction, and sometimes people miss the mark. Why did you want to cover this in today's episode? So as you say, it is an important part of writing, but sometimes people really miss the mark. Maybe they create their character in a silo, or the relationships are two-dimensional because they don't think about how these characters' roles play against each other. And it's something that advanced readers of the ghost hall keep highlighting in their reviews like i've had four or five reviews come through now and they've all said they love the relationship between neve and edie the mother and daughter so i thought it was worth exploring kind of my process and why developing these relationships and making sure they are realistic and believable and also entertaining or heartbreaking depending on what you're going for in that scene is important Okay, just as a side note then, for our lovely writers, and definitely me as well, because I can't remember what it means, what is writer characters created in a silo? When you create them on their own and don't think about how they bounce off each other, because every character serves a purpose, and yes, serves the plot as well. But if I had looked at Neve as one person and Edie as another, and not thought, okay, these are a mother-daughter, how do they interact? What roles do they play in each other's lives? They wouldn't have had as much depth. Because it's not just about you are a product of the five people you spend the most time with. It's also about if people have different belief systems, different opinions, different attitudes that will reflect how they interact. So what are some examples there that we could use? One thing that isn't always considered that we've explored in previous episodes is consequences. For example, if a parent has really high expectations for their child when the child is growing up and particularly into adulthood, maybe they have generalized anxiety disorder. Maybe they have perfectionism. Maybe they're prone to procrastinate because they feel like nothing they do will ever be good enough. So why even start? So it's cause and effect. You know, you can or you should use your personal experiences to play into this, right? Yeah, and this can happen on a conscious and a subconscious level. Sometimes you will intentionally bring in the relationships that you've personally experienced, and sometimes you will do it without realizing. And I've certainly done both. I've written things in my book and go, oh, yeah, that sounds really familiar. Oops. And then you may amusingly find that stuff in real life ends up mimicking your book further down the line. It's actually a word for that, but I've forgotten what it is. But that's not to say that research isn't still important. Our knowledge of people and of relationships is expanding all the time. Hmm. And so even in the last couple of years, you know, our understanding of the brain, our understanding of how our childhood impacts us is growing all the time. And even people like the Duchess of Cambridge, she has, she's really investing in, um, 
early years education because she's coming to realize how much of an impact it can have on someone's development as they get older and who they become and how much they can achieve and so it's a really important thing for us to consider and i'm not saying you need to know your character's childhood to the nth degree but if you know that they had the kind of parent who was an arsehole to them that person is going to grow up very differently to someone who had a very loving relationship with their primary caregiver that makes sense i've been doing a lot of research and playing around with relationships for my dissertation project so the the main relationships that are used are the ones between the two different mothers and their two different daughters. So the relationships in the story are used to demonstrate the theme, uh, the theme being sort of a nature versus nurture and how class plays a role in what kind of life they end up having. So it's important that those relationships are you know, well thought out and well planned and well demonstrated because they are effectively a tool um, to get my theme across but it's also a big part of women's fiction obviously so I've been reading a lot of different women's fiction for the piece and the different relationships that are in there are so important and can be used for so many different things you know they're not just there for the sake of it you can use them to expand your characters you can use them to show different themes like I am and you can use them to you know as plot points and things to move the plot along there's there's a lot of different ways but they're all different they are quite different relationships with their partners as well and their friends but they're all quite important i think and i also think that having those different types of relationships in the same character's life is important because everyone has a different relationship with everyone around them right exactly you and i have a different relationship to you and your other friends are me and my other friends me and my boyfriend have a different relationship to some other romantic relationships that people are in so it demonstrates the different types of relationships and how it affects that person and it's important that we reflect that in our writing to have fully fleshed out characters Mm. so each type of relationship should be treated differently when writing yeah kind of yeah When you take the romance out of any relationship, it's really about how the characters and your protagonist balance each other out, whether that's in a good or a bad way. What does this character bring to the protagonist's life and also your story? One of my favorite examples is the 1999 version of The Mummy. The Mummy! (laughs) (laughs) I love using this example because it covers multiple genres. You've got romance, you've got action, you've got adventure, you've got fantasy, you've got history. So it really does cover nearly everyone and it's a family-friendly film as well. And if you think about the main character, Rick, he does fit that kind of lovable rogue archetype, but he learns to become selfless and it is Evie who brings that out in him she is the love interest but she's also the kind of bookish type who wants to get out of being the bookish type and have this sense of adventure and rick is the only person really who will allow her to do that other than her brother and they balance each other out but actually in the end evie doesn't learn a thing because she's still even when the building is collapsing behind them she still wants to go and retrieve the book of amun ra from like this building and rick (laughs) and her brother jonathan literally drag her out of it and it shows that you know some people don't change and also jonathan then plays the comic relief and some but he's quite clever in that even though he's a comic relief he's not stupid he's got all this knowledge in his head but he doesn't necessarily use it or fully think things through. And I'm sure 
it's not just me who has met someone who is highly intelligent but doesn't use their intelligence and just do dumb shit instead. That's not just me, right? <laughs> no, that's definitely not just you. Yeah, so these characters are realistic and fleshed out and it's a fun watch and I analysed it for my character arcs writing workshop and I had 2,000 pages of notes just on the character arcs that didn't include... 2,000 pages? 2,000 words. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my hands did hurt a lot of the end. Several books on the mummy. (laughs) You know I could write a book analysing the mummy at this point. You should. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, yeah I didn't even analyze go into that much depth about like the costumes and the setting and all of that I was purely looking at the character arcs and how they developed and how each type of character plays a different role and reflects a theme and did I mention I really love that film I love that film I think me and many other people watched that film when we were children and realized based on these two beautiful main characters we are definitely not straight (laughs) (laughs) It's Pride Month right now, and talking about bisexual awakenings, <laughs> people often wonder how they can accurate, accurately write LGBTQ relationships because there is a push for more diverse characters in writing. So if someone's considering that and they want to write these diverse relationships, how would writing an LGBTQ relationship differ from writing a straight relationship? I think there's extra things to consider. You know, there is a lot that is different, but there's a lot that doesn't change as well. For anyone, a relationship with a man is different to a relationship with a woman, is different to a relationship who with someone who doesn't sort of conform to those gender stereotypes. So you naturally, though, interact with different people differently, whether you want to or not. You know, that's normal, that's human. And if your character is in a relationship with someone who is the same sex, their inner feelings and comfort levels will become more apparent when they're in public, for instance. You know, they may not spend all the time at home worrying about who's seeing them if they're not comfortable being with someone of the same sex. It's just an example, of course. But if they were uncomfortable when they go out in public, they're going to be more worried. They're going to be maybe less touchy-feely. You know, they might also behave differently around family. Another example might be confidence levels. You know, if you're with someone of the same sex compared to someone of the opposite sex, you might feel more confident in one or the other, both in terms of day-to-day stuff, but yes, obviously in terms of sex as well um, and vice versa you might feel less confident with that person i think one of the bigger and more more sensitive issues around it might be you know that that fear of coming out i guess if you're looking at someone of the same sex in public and you're not quite sure if they're you know also attracted to you it's not just whether or not they're attracted to you it's whether or not they're also you know maybe um gay and it's whether or not even if they're not gay, are they then going to have a problem with you if you do try and hit on them and stuff? So th- there's more elements it, that you might not have to think about if you are writing a straight relationship. Um, but I still think it's worth researching and doing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I totally agree. It's something that I'm very aware of in my writing. And I have found a way to bring in what I hope will be quite a sweet story into Afterlife Calls about the fact that you know, in Victorian times, they had very different attitudes towards lesbian relationships. Oh, yeah, they didn't think it was real. Women don't experience sexual pleasure. How could they have a relationship together? Yeah, let's not go down that path. So, <laughs> talk about exactly. the differences. How are these relationships the same? I think even though, obviously, there's, there's that fear of hitting on someone, 
if that's not going to be an element in in the story, there's still that moment of oh, I, f- I wonder if they're into me, you know, and that's that that can be exciting. It can be terrifying. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Whether you're hitting on uh, whoever you're hitting on, whatever kind of gender they are, but you still get the butterflies and you still got the excitement. And after the initial meeting, you've still got that you know committed relationship. You still got that devotion. You know that day to day love language that you have between people. Um, I don't think that is gender specific necessarily. It's um, worth noting actually that you can't control some of those things yeah they are physiological changes that happen in your body like your pupils dilate and like the butterflies like you mentioned we literally have no control over these things or like when you subconsciously smile because you see someone you know and love again we can't control that no Exactly. And those things are important and they're, they're exciting. You know, if, you, if you're reading about a new relationship, they're exciting things that you want to read. They kind of transcend gender, you know, like you said, it, it's, it's biological. So there's the excitement and enjoyment of being with someone that they really like if they're happy, you know, that's going to be quite similar to regardless of who they're with. It, it depends on the actual person and how they behave in a relationship more so than uh, the, the gender of the person they're with, right? Back to writing other kinds of relationships, though. What kind of mistakes do you see writers make all too commonly? So one of my pet peeves is when they move too fast and there's no reason to. Like, I remember reading a book when I was a teenager and the character said they loved someone and they'd known each other for three days. (laughs) I get you're in close proximity with someone, but you've not been through any sort of real trauma, for example. And it's that kind of thing that will push you close to someone, but then you won't necessarily love them you will love a part of them because you won't know them well enough to love them and you really need to understand why these characters have that sense of closeness that does transcend how long they've known them like the pandemic is quite a good example actually because people are moving a lot faster you've seen celebrities who go into quarantine with someone and then they come out engaged or married you know quite a few have done it Mm. and some of them haven't survived that relationship but being in close proximity with someone does fast track it as opposed to when you're in a long distance relationship, for example. It's true. Me and the uh, Chinese delivery guy have become really good friends. <laughs> <laughs> See each other all the time. <laughs> the next one is not exploring the relationship in enough depth so we don't get what they see in each other and this drives me nuts and i do see it quite a bit actually in paranormal women's fiction and i get that the focus of the genre is more on the women and it's more on the fantasy but if you've got a romantic relationship people need to understand what these characters see in each other why they're attracted to each other and if they if the meet cute happens at the start of the book we still need to understand the gradual progression to living together or getting married or whatever their goals are And another one, this is one I see a lot in cutesy kind of comfort romances, and that's too little conflict. Yeah. And no one ever argues. So their relationship is really flat, and it's like neither of them are fleshed out enough to have anything that really triggers them or pisses them off. Or they don't confront that conflict to either to each other, to a friend, or we don't even hear their reaction to someone being an arsehole. Great stories all about conflict. Story is conflict. Mm. And if you leave that out, then your characters lack depth and they also lack believability. It doesn't matter how long you've been in a relationship for, you're likely to argue with that person at some point. And not including that just makes your characters feel 
less human. Yes. Make them all fight all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there there is a thing called storming. No, forming, storming and norming in a relationship. Have you ever heard of it? No, tell me more. Well, forming is what it sounds like. You get together with a person, maybe you have a honeymoon period, and then storming is where you're arguing all the time and you can't stand the other person's presence and you're trying to learn how to communicate with each other. And then there is norming where everything normalizes out and you don't necessarily get your happily ever after, but things are more normalized. Hmm. And a lot of relationships break down during the storming phase, particularly if they're unhealthy or the two people are incompatible. Because obviously that's where everyone's arguing and everything from the way they breathe to the way they eat to the way they dress starts to irritate you. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that makes sense. (laughs) And the final thing, I think it might be something we've mentioned before, is flat reactions or no reactions. And that's, say you've got a sidekick or a mentor or something and you kill them off in one chapter and then by the next chapter all the characters that were really close to them have moved on. Which just doesn't make sense. (laughs) No, if your characters have a close relationship of any kind, you need to reflect that, not just in life, but also in death. Even if that character goes on to become a ghost. I suppose it's not even just with death. If the character they love moves away, or if the character they love does something big, they're going to have a reaction to that, right? Yeah, there's still that grieving period. One book that I found did this really well, or one series, is Good to the Last Death by Robin Peterman. The characters have a lot of depth and they all serve different roles. And a couple of you is if you don't want spoilers. But you kind of see it coming at the start of the first book. And I think it's at the end of book three, she kills off the grandma. And it's obviously heartbreaking because the main character missed the, her grandmother's de- mother's death. She wasn't there for it. Mm. And she goes to the funeral home to see her grandmother's body. And her grandmother's ghost is sitting behind her saying, why am I wearing that lipstick shade? Get it <laughs> off my body. <laughs> That's brilliant. It is. It's a really funny series, but it's also really good. And the characters, like I say, have got a lot of depth. The relationships have got a lot of depth. They do a lot of dumb shit. But you can understand their motivations. And I think that's sometimes what a lot of things lack is understanding the history and the backstory and just the reason these characters have for doing the stupid things that they do. Hmm, I see. I'm going to add that little series to my reading list. But let's come back to family and friends. I know they're a big part of all of your books, regardless of which genre you're writing in. How do you make sure those relationships feel three dimensional to the reader? It really helps if your characters are already three-dimensional, regardless of if you plan them out based individually or based on how they interact with each other. For me, it's usually what role do they serve in the story and do I need them and how do they influence the main characters? But if they have different viewpoints, they will naturally bounce off each other really well. Because quite often in life, we're surrounded by people who either think like us or who are total opposites. And particularly if you've got the total opposites, there's a natural rapport there. For instance, with Neve and Edie, Neve doesn't want to get involved in ghosts, whereas Edie does. And that's just one of the many things that they argue about. In the opening to the new book, then, to Ghost Call, you start with an argument between the mother and daughter, between Neve and Edie. This immediately hooks the reader, right? Well, I like to hope so. (laughs) Because everyone can relate to an argument, right? Definitely. And it also sets up both one of the key conflicts in the book, but also one of the key relationships. It's not a case of 
they are mega close and that they never argue and that they're always happy and everything's light and fluffy, they do argue actually quite a lot. Yeah. And I have to confess that arguments are one of my favorite scenes to write. <laughs> and it's not just because I'm a sadist. I think it's because you can tell a lot about someone by how they argue and how they behave when they argue. Because people are less likely to filter themselves or worry about what other people are thinking. They're just so angry. They will say what they are thinking and what they are feeling without a filter. Mm. And... In The Ghost Call, both Neve and Edie love a good argument, particularly Neve, <laughs> because she's carrying a lot of internal anger from her childhood, which we'll explore in book two. I didn't uh, realize the fact that book two was called The Mummy's Curse and it's full of mummy issues until like last month. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful coincidence. <laughs> it was, it actually was, yeah. <laughs> so both in the books though as well, both Neve and Edie have romantic relationships at some point too how did you write them you know taking into consideration that they're both so different in terms of demographics yeah so just for background neve has just turned 40 and is recently divorced whereas edie is 17 and in her last year of college and so in terms of background i i've always read a lot of romance a lot of women's fiction and a lot of paranormal women's fiction and as i've said before in the podcast i think these genres are really good in terms of studying how people write about relationships and how you can add depth to your relationships but being an avid avid reader of these genres it also taught me what i don't like and what i would prefer to do because it's really hard for me to turn off that analytical part of my brain so it doesn't matter what I'm reading. I'm always analyzing it in some way and being like, okay, why have they done this? Why haven't they done that? What is this foreshadowing? And so you can kind of piece the puzzle together. And then when it comes to the characters themselves, it's about considering what Neve and Edie need because someone's needs, particularly in a relationship, will change based on someone's age and also their romantic history. Like, because Edie is 17, she's never been in a relationship before. She's very naive, but very hopeful. You know, this is the kind of only guy she's really had a crush on before. Whereas Neve is much more jaded because she's not only widowed, but she's also recently divorced. So she's kind of over the relationship thing. And it therefore takes her a lot longer to open up and decide that she does want someone to play a romantic role in her life again like it it's complex but it makes the characters feel more three-dimensional just talking about the background and again when you see them in those relationships they feel a lot more fleshed out don't they i like to hope so yeah i mean they certainly do to me neve and edie feel very very real to me at this point because i've done so much work with them and i've already been through so much with them <laughs> in just two books and book three and four is gonna be fun it is your characters are always very fleshed out and i definitely admire that about you Thank you. It, it's something that I always strive to do because it's something I like to read. But also, I like to reflect the human side of relationships and write people who feel as realistic as possible so that people can relate to them. And then also, you know, it does tug at the heartstrings a little bit more when I do bad things. <laughs> Perfect. Win-win. Or when I do good things, it affects them more when I do good things as well. You know, you just feel for the characters more in those ups and downs. 
Exactly. What are your tips for developing relationships between your characters, writers? Let us know in our free Facebook group. You can check it out by visiting writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group. Now, this is the last episode of season two. Can you believe we're on season two already? I can't. It's flown by. Time really does fly when you're having fun. It does. But for July, we will be sharing some quick tips to tide you over. Mm-hmm. Then we will be back in August with interview season. Woo-hoo. So Ellie has time and energy to focus on her studies. Yeah, it's all my fault. Uh, sorry, not sorry. But we've got some great guests lined up already. We've got some guests. And at least we've got extra bits for you in July. It's not like you'll just not hear from us for weeks. Exactly. We've got some very quick tips for July. That, Like I say, we'll keep you going. And then we'll be back in August with interviews with people like Sasha Black and Tim Lewis. Mm. So stay tuned for that. Very juicy interviews. Here's hoping. Did you find this episode enlightening? Don't forget to hit that shiny, shiny subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And tell all your friends how awesome we are. Definitely. You never know who it could help. Speaking of helping, you can support The Writer's Mindset over on Patreon for less than your favourite coffee per month. Join our growing gang of writers to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and patron-only writing workshops when we hit our targets. And free Ellie hugs if they ever get to meet you. Yep, and free hugs, that is a genuine offer. I don't do hugs, though. They're not my thing. No, you're the uh, resting bitch face person. I deny that? No, can't deny the truth. And on that note, we'll see you next time. Keep writing. (laughs) 